The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over to the not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Um, Looks like the second service is growing in popularity because it's warmer and later in the day in winter. It's good that you could join us. I'm going to sit today and uh, try and come at this passage a little bit differently. Uh, For those of you who are visiting with us, we've been uh, on a journey um, for this whole year. We're coming to the end of this series. Um, We began uh, a big theme uh, for our church this year. It was called Radiate. And we've been looking at this idea of how do we as Christians, as God's people, reflect Jesus to our non-Christian world. And I think this theme has particular relevance for us in recent debates uh, in thinking about how can we be uh, an accurate reflection of the heart and the grace and the love of Jesus in our community. And we've looked at lots of different ways uh, that we can do that throughout this year. And in the last little while, we've been journeying through 1 Peter and looking at this question of how do we radiate Jesus in the face of persecution and hostility and opposition? How do we reflect Jesus within a culture that's drifting further away from biblical values and and from uh, Christian ideas? And uh, we've seen that Peter has a lot to say about that. And he has a lot to say about how to continue to do good, to hold on to Jesus, to remain faithful to him. And so we've looked at what Peter has to say under the theme of unbroken. How do we remain committed to Christ, holding firm in our convictions and our commitment to Christ in a world that's broken, in a world that's hostile, in a world that doesn't understand where we're coming from? And last week, uh, Lewis shared from the previous uh, section of 1 Peter, um, where Peter explicitly focuses on uh, how Christians ought to respond in a, in a Christ-honoring way in the midst of persecution. And we looked at some really challenging and confronting things that Peter had to say. And so we come to this passage where Peter now is wanting to speak to the elders. And so I've entitled this message, We All Like Sheep, from the Colin Buchanan song, We All Like Sheep Have Gone Astray, Ba Ba Do Ba Ba. Um, and we sang that at the last combined uh, church event that we had. And what's interesting, I've preached this passage uh, in many parts of the world, um, in Africa, in, uh, in the Philippines, in Sri Lanka. And I want to tell you that coming to this passage in my own local church is really weird. It's really weird to preach this passage in my local church. Um, one of the challenges is how do you take a passage like this and preach it in a way that's relevant to a congregation? Because every time I preach this elsewhere, I've preached it to pastors and leaders. 
another challenge I kind of came up with is that how do you walk this fine line between handing out a scorecard to you and saying, okay, rate me at the end of this service, how am I doing? Or giving you out a box of tissues where you have to wipe away tears of compassion for how hard it is to be a pastor. And I kind of wrestle with that and, and, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to navigate this passage and walk that fine line where we're able to engage with this idea that yes, Peter is talking to elders for a very good reason because he, he comes to this realization that leaders within churches that are going through hostility and hardship play a critical role in helping Christians stay firm in their commitment and resolve to follow Christ. And so he wants in these short four verses to give some instructions to elders and leaders as to how to do their job well. And this is a really rich passage. In these four verses, Peter packs a, a massive punch. He packs a lot of stuff into these short verses, and he says a lot with very, very few words expended. And so um, I want to try and come at this passage. I'm going to go up here because some people look like they're struggling to see me around poles and stuff. So hopefully you can see me better from up here. Um, and I want to explore three tensions that Peter, in the process of talking here, kind of identifies. As I looked at this passage and as I prepared and studied, I came to the realization that some of the things Peter says is these almost opposing, contradictory almost ideas, but they're tensions that he wants leaders and elders to live within. The first one is this really strange tension between being a sheep and a shepherd. I don't know if you kind of came across this idea. Uh, when you read chapter 5, verse 1, it says Peter is appealing to the elders among you as a fellow elder. And he says, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings and also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now, those are all things earlier on that he said that as a church, they all share. They all share in the sufferings of Jesus and they all will share in the glory to be revealed. Peter is trying very hard to make himself seem like he's the same as everybody else. He's another sheep. And he, the way he talks about stuff in this passage clearly reflects his time and his experience and his personal, ongoing, growing relationship with Jesus. So when he talks about the witness of suffering, it's because he walked with Jesus for three years. Uh, again, scholars debate, oh, well, Peter wasn't really at the crucifixion because he denied Jesus and we don't know where he went. True, but he was a part of the rest of Jesus' earthly life. The, the glory that is to be revealed, well, Peter would know that because he saw Jesus transfigured and, and fully glorified. And then when Jesus talks about shepherding, John 10 comes to mind where, where Jesus talked about being a shepherd. And also we would remember in John 21 where Peter is kind of at that point of really rejecting and repenting for that and Jesus restores him. And what does Jesus tell him? Feed my sheep. You, you can see that in the background here. When he goes on to talk about clothing yourself with humility, I'm sure Peter had in mind John 13 where Jesus wraps a towel around him and, and, and models this. Christian leadership idea. So this whole section is so full of Jesus, as it were, that Peter wants these elders to know that they're sheep first and foremost, and never to forget that. Because in verse 4, he talks about Jesus being the chief shepherd. And yet, these sheep were also called to be shepherds. Verse 2 begins, be shepherds of God's flock. Now, that, that's an interesting tension. The best way for me to illustrate this is uh, one of Dasha's heroes, Sean the Sheep. Some of you would know Sean the Sheep. He's a, a famous 
kids cut animation kind of program. Uh, and Dash got the privilege of meeting Sean the Sheep just a little while ago, which was really exciting for her. And now Sean the Sheep brings out this tension. Sean, on the one hand, is a sheep, just like all the other sheep. And yet, in this story that regularly unfolds, he's a leader. And all the other sheep follow him. Now, part of the reason Sean has to step into this leadership role is because the shepherd doesn't do his job. The shepherd's in the, in the house and he's preoccupied with other things. And so Sean has to help these other sheep get themselves out of trouble and all this kind of stuff. And, but unlike that shepherd, Peter wants to remind us that the chief shepherd, Jesus, is always with his sheep. He's always there protecting and guiding and instructing them. So they must always keep in mind that they're sheep that have been called to be shepherds. Now, what are the implications of this tension? Well, for leaders, I think it ought to bring a lot of humility into what they do. That it should remind us that I'm no different to you. I'm just a sheep as well. And I think sometimes leaders forget this. And we think that we're super sheep. Or that somehow we are called into leadership because we're better than other sheep. But we're not. We're, we're called into shepherding because Jesus calls us into that. Not because we're a different kind of sheep. Not because we're sheep dogs. Not because we're something else. We're just other sheep. Now, I've been in many cultures and I've traveled quite a lot to do ministry. Thankfully, God's given me those opportunities to do that. And I've encountered when leaders get this wrong. And when churches get this wrong. I remember in Sri Lanka, this is a massive issue, and I'm sure people from the other countries would testify it's the same, where pastors are elevated into a different class of Christian. And I remember being in Sri Lanka, and you know, people, when I visited their homes, I was treated like the, the king had come. I had the best seat in the house, the best cutlery and crockery was given to me. I wasn't allowed to do anything, even to serve my own food. I didn't get to wash my own hands because they brought a bowl for me to wash my hands. I mean, nobody else got that. But the pastor got it. And this idea that the pastor is put on a pedestal. Now, again, I understand where they're coming from. They, they want to show respect and honor and all of that. But there's a very slight shift that takes place in people's minds when they do that. And that shift is that somehow you're better than me. You're different to me. And Peter says, no, you're just a sheep. So as leaders, we need to keep that in mind that our primary responsibility is to follow the shepherd, capital S, to be following Jesus. And if I'm not following him, and if I'm not in relationship with him, and if I'm not growing in my relationship with him, and if I'm not becoming more and more like him, I have no business being a shepherd. No business. And as a congregation, we need to make sure that our shepherds are following the chief shepherd. Our sheep who are just like us, they're not in a separate class they're just like us, but they've been called to that role and we follow them because they're following Jesus. We've got to guard that tension. The, the second tension that Peter draws out, which again is challenging in the face of leadership. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Under your care, watching over them. Now, there are two different ideas there. Uh, it, it, it's interesting, Peter begins by saying be shepherds. That, that's the word that is often translated as pastor. It's, it's a shepherd word. And 
as a shepherd in the ancient Near East, one of the things, lots of things they did, they they obviously fed the sheep, they uh, took them to green pastures and water and all of that, they protected their sheep, they defended them from wolves and attacks, so they guarded the flock, um, they obviously led them through dangerous places to safety, they, they bandaged the sheep that were injured, they went after the sheep that were wandering, that kind of caring role. But one of the interesting things about shepherds in the ancient Near East is that unlike the image that sometimes we see in contemporary shepherding, where there's a guy on the, on, on a four in on a on a motocross bike behind the sheep, riding behind them, kind of shepherding them. In the ancient Near East, the shepherd walked in front of them, and so he part of his leadership was caring, and part of his caring was leadership. Now that's attention, and I don't know if you fully appreciate that. So let me unpack that a little bit for you. When I was younger in ministry. Uh, I was starting out, just finished Bible college. Uh, I loved the Bible and teaching the Bible and, and really enjoying that process of preparing sermons. And early in my ministry, I, I, I felt that having to meet with people was just an inconvenience. I just couldn't be bothered with people. And um, my, you know, I often would say to the leaders who were serving on my teams, man, pastoral care and dealing with people, I'm just not interested. That's just not my thing. You know, uh, just give me a commentary, you know, give me Grudem, give me Don Carson and my Bible, and just don't bother me. Don't, don't bother me with your problems. I'm not interested. I just got to preach, prepare the word and preach the word. And I kind of thought this, and I realized as I went on in ministry how stupid that is because actually what makes me a better leader and a better preacher is knowing people and to the extent that I enter in to people's experience and journey with them makes me a better leader but it's a challenge because see when church size grows that tension shifts when you have 30 people, it's easy to care for everyone, to be at every birthday party, to be at every family event, to visit everyone in hospital, to visit everyone that's sick. It's easy when you have 30 people, but try doing that with 300. It's where you've got to work this out. Now, how do I care and how do I lead? How do I raise up other people? How do I set vision and direction for my church? How do I prepare sermons and visit 300 people? At some point, you have to start making decisions. A guy called Ian Jagelman, who's a lecturer at AC College, he lectures in leadership. He says that that's one of the fundamental shifts that pastors have to go through as their church grows in size. It shifts from ministry to leadership. That's a difficult transition to make. And he says, to the extent that pastors struggle with that, church growth is affected. But there are other complications. It depends on your personality. What if you're an introvert and you can't bear to be with people? What if it's not really your gifting? What if teaching and leading is your gifting and people just, yeah. And yet Peter says, no, we've got to carry that tension because you've heard the cliche. People don't care about how much you know unless they know how much you care. Now, how do you do that from day to day, week to week? I find this difficult. This week, my whole week was packed with meetings for lots of different reasons catching up with people, other things that I had to do to, to, you know, for the direction of our church, about the building, a whole bunch of stuff. And finding time to sit down and prepare a message gets really difficult. And it's easy to find or feel like when people ring up and say, I've got a problem, can I come and see you? To go, oh, do you have to? <laughs> it's, it's hard. And living in that tension of being able to care for people and lead people is difficult sometimes. But it's also hard for congregations. 
If you've been in a small church where you're used to the pastor caring for you and meeting every need, it's easy to have unrealistic expectations and want them to keep doing that, to turn up for everything, to be there for everything, to visit everyone. And you end up running your pastors and leaders to the ground. But the opposite is also true. To, be, to feel frustrated when your pastor, it feels like, comes from his ivory tower of being in the glory of God and brings a word when he has no idea what's happening in your life. That can be equally frustrating. So it's attention. Care and lead. Care and oversee. Uh, one Bible writer, a commentator, Warren Worsby, he says it like this. He says that Christian leadership, if you can put that up please, is where the shepherd is both among his sheep and over his sheep at the same time. He's among them because he's a sheep and he's meant to care and he's meant to know and he's meant to be aware of what's happening, but he's also over his sheep. He's called to lead, to have oversight, to be responsible for, to govern and to lead the sheep. Now, again, I don't know what working with real sheep are like, but I can tell you sometimes working with human sheep is really challenging. And really frustrating because they don't always cooperate. And generally speaking, as sheep, we all like the nurture and the care and the warm, fuzzy feelings and the tissues that we get from our elders. But we don't like being told by our elders. We don't like being rebuked. We don't like being corrected. We don't like being challenged. We don't like being confronted about something that we don't want to hear about. But we love the sympathy and the, uh, the affirmation and the coming alongside. And Peter says, you've got to hold that intention. You've got to be caring and still lead. And it relates to leaders and congregations in how we do that well. Third tension he talks about is this idea that this thing that we lead, this organism, this entity we lead it's it's God's flock he says it's we shepherd we watch over God's flock that is under your care my care as a leader again I don't know if you see the, the tension of that that on the one hand this thing that I do is not mine to own the, the, this this group of people uh, I need to hold on to it very loosely and realize that I don't own this flock. I don't own you. It's God's flock, but yet somehow I'm accountable for you. I'm responsible for you. It's been, it's been entrusted to me is the way Peter talks about it. I remember a little while ago uh, when my family was going away on holiday, we have two little guinea pigs. And uh, we needed someone to look after them. And so we have some really good friends um, who uh, love animals and they, love, and they have lots of pets themselves. And, and so we, we asked them if they'd look after them and said, sure. And so we packed them all up. We got their food and their cage and all their bits and pieces. And we took them all over there. And we sat down and we gave them instructions. Okay, this is, you know, how we, how we look after them. This is how we feed them. This is how often we feed them. This is how, you know. And they're like, yep, yep, sure, no problem. You know what? They didn't kind of go, you know what? I don't care. We're going to just do whatever we want with your, with your guinea pigs. I mean, they probably know more about caring for guinea pigs than I do, but because they realize these aren't our pets. And so they said, okay, if that's how you want it done, if that's how we're meant to do it, then we'll do it that way. And when we got back after our holiday, they didn't say, oh, whoa, 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 where are you taking these guinea pigs? No, they're like, yeah, they belong to you. You're welcome. We looked after them. But sometimes leaders, we, we think of, 
our people and our church that way. If another church wants one of our youth leaders because they have an opening and they think that one of our youth leaders would be great, we go, whoa, 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 where are you taking my youth leader? Whoa, are they my youth leader? Are they God's youth leader? And can God send them wherever he wants them to go? Envy, you're not going anywhere. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we can get this tension wrong. We, we can start taking too much ownership for it. And we can start thinking that, no, this is my church and this is my position and this is my leadership and I'm going to be here till I retire or die and woe be to anyone that threatens that in any way. This tension reminds me to hold to this loosely and go, God, these are your people. They're your flock. And yeah, you've entrusted them to me, which means I'm responsible and I'm, that's a sobering challenge. It's a heavy responsibility because Peter goes on to say that the chief shepherd will hold us accountable. So just because there's somebody else's doesn't give me the freedom to mismanage and, and be careless. And given that they're Jesus' people, I should be even more diligent to care for them well. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, Paul talks to that church using a different metaphor, but talking about these same ideas. And even in that church, they'd lost sight of the fact that they were God's flock. And so they began to see the leader as the shepherd, capital S. And they were talking about, oh, I follow Apollos, or I, I follow Peter, or, or I follow Paul. And, and Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. We're all following Jesus. You've got your eyes on a man. And sometimes churches, we can do that. We can forget that Jesus is the chief shepherd and we look to a human shepherd and we put our confidence in them when it's God that we should be looking to. And every leader's job should be to point past themselves to the chief shepherd, to the one who really owns the flock and say, don't put your confidence in me. I can't provide for your needs I can't meet every need. I can't get everything right. I'm not going to make every decision correctly. I'm going to make bad calls and I'm going to make bad decisions and I'm just a sheep like you. And so I'm going to be tired and I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to get things wrong. But Jesus will always be the one you can look to, to keep pointing people to him. And Peter says, he goes on to say in chapter 3 and 4, so therefore, because of that being true, Christian leaders ought to be careful how they build He's using a building metaphor there. And he says we should be building with silver and gold and precious stones, knowing that one day the fire of God will test not just the work they've done, but the motives of their heart. And Peter says the chief shepherd will come and he will evaluate and you will be accountable because it was a trust given to you. So we hold to it loosely, but we hold to it carefully. As leaders, we recognize that this is not my flock, but I am responsible. As sheep, as congregations, we recognize that we don't look to a man. We look beyond the man to the chief shepherd and follow the man that God has entrusted or follow the woman that God has entrusted or follow the connect group leader or the youth leader or whoever it is in that position because they've been given the trust to care and to lead. Living in the tension. And then Peter goes on to unpack these tensions and draw out some implications by using these three not-but clauses. And again, it's a familiar way of arguing a case, not something but something else. And there's three of these, and we, we read them. The first one, he says, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is, this is, I guess, your attitude or your mindset that should drive your leadership, not because you must, but because you are willing. That's your first not-but. 
He says, if you're a leader and the reason you're doing what you're doing is because you have a sense of compulsion that, oh, I have to. Peter says, no, get out. Get out. That, that shouldn't be your motivation. If, if that's where it's come to, if the joy is gone, if you've forgotten that you're a, a sheep that is serving the great shepherd, if, you, if you've forgotten that it's a trust that's been given you and it's just become something that's grinding you to the ground, get out. There should be instead a willingness, a delight. And that's what God wants, he says. I remember I had to learn this lesson early in my ministry. And I'm so thankful to God for this Christian leader that made this lesson real for me. I was a teenager, 17, 18, finishing high school, really busy. And I was on the roster at Petersham where I was attending to play drums. I was on the music roster. And I was playing all the time at youth and at church and HSC stuff, and I was just busy. And there was one particular Sunday I came to church, and the drummer rostered on for that day couldn't make it because they were sick or there was some other problem, but they weren't there. And the music director that day, you know, called me over and he said, "Look, Hillary, um, can you play this morning?" Well, you know, the guy couldn't. The guy who was rostered on didn't come. Are you able to fill in? And my response was, "Do I have to?" And he looked at me and he said, "No, you don't." You ought to want to. And I was like, oh, just, just hurt. Oh, hurt me so much. And I, I think I did end up playing that day. And I thought long and hard about what he said. And I said, I said to myself, God, I pray that my ministry, my leadership will never be characterized by a have to. But I get to. And I want to. And that doesn't mean that we become doormats and that we run ourselves to the ground and, you know, become martyrs that say, all right, I'll take another one for you, Jesus, and I love it. No, but it's guarding that heart that says, Jesus, you've laid down everything for me. And I don't want to follow you and serve and lead out of any sense of being forced to do it. I want a delight in you and a love for you to be the driving force that keeps me willing which is why Paul, and when he talks about money, he uses the same idea. He says, don't give if you feel compelled. God's not interested. Even if you give a lot, he's not interested. Even if you serve a lot, he's not interested. He's more interested in your heart and the cheerfulness and the delight of your giving. Money and time. So Peter says, not out of any sense of compulsion, but because you're willing. The second not but speaks to our motivation. He says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Now, again, let me tell you, being honest, being in ministry has its privileges. In, in some contexts, you get special parking. In some contexts, you have VIP lounges and green rooms. Not in ours. We don't even have a room, let alone a green one. <laughs> we have outhouses. But, but there are, and... And it's easy to get sucked up into that. I remember a time when I was in Sri Lanka, I was there doing a pastor's conference and I was traveling alone. Uh, Dash and the kids didn't come with me this time. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys I know, a young, a young guy, uh, youth, was a, one of the youth pastors in the church, he said, look, can I come with you? You know, I want to just come and learn and just observe and be a part of it. And I'm happy to serve and do whatever you want me to do. I said, great, I could do with the company. Why don't you come with me? And so just as we we're about to kind of get going, you know, I kind of packed up my bags and stuff. And he comes and he's, he wants to grab my bags. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? He said, oh, that's what I'm here to serve. I'm here to carry your bags. I'm like, whoa, let's just time out. I said, let's get one thing straight. You're coming as my equal. 
You're not coming as my valet. If that's how you want to come, if you want to come to carry my bags, don't come with me. Go with some other pastor. That's just not how I do what I do. But if we're going to come and you're going to let me treat you as an equal, I said, if you come, you're coming to pray with me. You're coming to pray for me. You're coming to be a part of what I'm doing. You're coming that way. Don't come thinking I'm here to serve the man of God. But you know, some of that stuff, it gets inside of you. And you can easily go, you know, I like that. I like somebody else carrying my bags. I like feeling more important than everybody else. I like walking into a room and feeling like the most important person in that room. Having everyone bow and scrape and, Pastor, Pastor, what can I get you? Where would you like to sit? Would you like something? Would you like me to, you know, mop your brow? It's easy. When you're broken and when you're messed up inside, it's easy to latch onto that stuff and feel good about yourself because of that stuff. But that's a dangerous place to be. And even though Peter is just talking mainly about money here, that's a constant threat to leaders where leadership becomes about what I get from you rather than what I give to you. And Jesus rebukes that and challenges that because he says, I'm not among you as someone who wants your allegiance and your, your, your serving. I'm here as one among you who's here to serve you. And Peter is picking up all of that and he says, guard against this not but. God, don't, don't get sucked into that. And it is very, very tempting. The third not but is about, I guess, recognizing that there's a way to do ministry well and a way not to do ministry well. And he says, not lording it over people, but rather being an example to the flock. Not lording over and again, I, I want to be honest, it's tempting, this whole thing about titles, power, authority. It is very, very beguiling to, to have that sense of domination. This is one of the reasons why uh, at our church, I really try to educate us as a community not to call me pastor. Because it's so easy to get caught up in that and to like that. Now, I understand for many of our people, they come from different cultures and, and it's just a sign of respect. In fact, I was talking at morning tea with someone and they're like, Pastor, and, I'm, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He said, but you know, you know why we do that. It's because in our culture, it's just respect. We, we call older people uncle and auntie. It's just a sign of respect. And I said, I hear you. And that's why I don't make a big deal of it. But I constantly want to guard my heart against pride. And I constantly want to guard your heart from thinking wrongly about me, that I'm not. I'm just another sheep and calling me something different all the time will make it easier for you to forget that. But it's easy. And I remember talking, I have a supervisor that I meet with once a month, twice a month, who checks in on me to see how I'm going spiritually and see how I'm going dealing with my own kind of stuff and my baggage. And she holds me accountable for a whole bunch of stuff. She's a trained counselor. And as I was thinking about some of this stuff, I asked her one time, I said, I see so many pastors and leaders who are just so domineering, who are so controlling, who, are, who cross the line of leadership and it becomes something else. I said, why is that? And she said something to me that's so profound, it stayed with me and it challenges me all the time. She said, you know, Hillary, something about ministry invites broken people into that position because somehow they like the power that comes with the position. 
And she said, it's because they're broken. It's because they've got issues. They've got own stuff inside of them that they're not bringing to Jesus to be healed and made whole. And so they use their church and their people as a way to get power for themselves. And I thought, that's me. I can do that. And sometimes when you lead, it's so easy to point the finger in how you lead. It's so easy to stand up tall and up high and speak down to people because I'm the leader. I'm the shepherd. I'm the one that has been given this responsibility, but I'm also a sheep that's meant to be walking alongside of you. It ought to change the way I speak. And, and Peter tells us how. The, the way to authority in the church and in leadership is not saying, I'm the senior pastor, you must obey me. He's saying the way to authority in leadership in the church is by being an example. It's by saying, hey, hey, follow me because I'm following Jesus. Follow me because we're all going in this direction and we're following him. Follow me because I'm following the chief shepherd. I'm just another sheep like you. Come on, let's go. Let's follow Jesus together. Not, not do what I say because I'm the boss here. And yet sometimes we slip into that. I can slip into that. And Peter's encouragement, these tensions keep bringing me back and grounding my reality in Jesus and saying, Jesus, guard my heart against wanting ministry to do more for me and making it about me and making it about a way to prop up my insecurities and my own ego and my own brokenness. God, I pray that I will bring all of that to Jesus, my chief shepherd, and that would be where I start, that I'm a sheep who needs you to heal me and fix me and deal with this stuff, that I don't abuse your sheep. I don't abuse your flock. That I don't make them pay for my brokenness. I want you to pay for my brokenness, and you've already done that. And so as I leave you with this message, I want you to think seriously about how you walk forward from here. Because Peter recognizes that as the church moves in a direction where it is going to experience more hostility, more separation from culture, leadership will become more and more critical in the church. And we are living in that world, church, that Christendom is dying. The central place of the church in our culture is dying. And if we think for a moment that Australia is a Christian country, we're insane. And we need to be prepared. And so 1 Peter will begin to take on greater and greater meaning to us as we find ourselves in the margins. And how we lead within the church will become more and more important in helping us to stay firm, stay committed, stay true to our commitment to Jesus. And so as I conclude, I, I want to leave you with some closing thoughts on how to respond in light of this message. I mean, I've kind of touched on different things that will relate to us as a congregation and relate to us as leaders throughout. And if you're a connect group leader, if you're a youth leader, if you're a kids ministry worker, if whatever, in whatever capacity, if there has been a trust given to you and there is an area of responsibility, then I, I pray that you will hold to these tensions that Peter talks about, that you'll never forget that you're a sheep first. Never forget that your priority is to follow Jesus. And that you'll remember that it's a dual role of caring and leading. That you'll never ever forget that you're not supposed to lord it over and, and use people for your own gain. You, you're supposed to carry this tension that it's God's people but that you are responsible. And how we as a congregation can relate to people in leadership comes out of that. But here's some other practical things you can do. Pray for your leaders. Pray for us. Pray for the elders. Pray for your connect group leaders. 
Pray for your youth leaders, if you're young people. Pray for your kids' ministry workers. Pray for your leaders. That's why Peter writes this, because he recognizes that leaders are in the front line. If there's persecution and hostility, guess who's going to cop it first? If there's spiritual attack, guess who's going to cop it first? So pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those in, in leadership over you. And, and pray that God protects them and God encourages them. And, and, and Peter reminds us, yes, that our reward is from the chief shepherd and he will give you reward. And it's promised that when Jesus comes back, your faithfulness will be rewarded. And the danger is that as leaders, we can look to our people to get that reward from. But just because we shouldn't do that doesn't mean we as the people should not give reward to our leaders. And thankfully at PCC, our elders and our board looks after us very well. And more than financially, as a church, you guys are so encouraging. And I want you to spread that love to all our leaders. Encourage them, support them, tell them you're praying for them. Be a part of the the flock that way. Come alongside leaders. And in Hebrews 13, I just finished with this. The writer says this, have confidence in your leaders. I want you to be able to have confidence in your leaders, not as being the capital S shepherds, but being shepherds following Jesus. Have confidence in them, in their integrity, in their godliness, in their spiritual maturity, and submit to their authority. Now, those are two words that we don't like hearing often as congregations. Submit authority. But just think of it as following, if that makes it easier. Because they keep watch of you. That's that same word, oversight. They keep watch over you. Why? As those who must give an account. Leaders aren't perfect. And even the most terrible leader will stand before Jesus and have to give an account. And you can rest in that. That's why you can have confidence because it's in the great chief shepherd. Do this so that their work will be a joy. Encourage them. Partner with them. Not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. The last thing you can do is partner with those in leadership. Come alongside them saying, okay, where are we going? And wherever it is, I'm, I'm in, 100%. I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm going to be joining in with you, supporting you, getting behind you and following you so that I'm not going to make life hard for you, but so that you can be a joy. Because when leadership is a joy for you, that's of benefit to me. And that together we can be God's flock. As leaders lead well, and as we all learn to follow better, We can be the flock that God is calling us to be. And we can have an influence in our community. We can make a difference in this city. We can reach people who are far from Jesus and bring them to Jesus and and share his heart and his love and his passion for people. But God wants to work through us as a flock. And we need leaders and followers to do that. Why don't you bow your head? Close your eyes. And one of the greatest truths that Peter brings out is that there is only one chief shepherd. And God has made us his flock because he's the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. I don't have to do that. I can't do that. I can't be the savior. And I don't need to be because Jesus has already done that. And maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as that good chief shepherd. Well, I would love at the end of this service, if you'd like to talk to me about that and for us to pray together, I would love to tell you more about Jesus and how he came 
as God himself stepped down, took on flesh, lived among us, suffered and died, laid down his life to be our shepherd. There's a tension there too. He's the shepherd who was the lamb that laid down his life to forgive us and to bring us into God's flock. And you can know him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you have died to save us, to forgive us, to bring us to yourself, to make us a flock. Thank you, Lord, for this flock. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the other sheep that are part of this flock like me. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to journey together, to serve you, to serve one another, to serve our city to be a blessing. And Lord, I pray for those sheep that come in from a different pasture or a different flock or a different fold that might look a little bit different to us, that might act a little bit different. God, I pray that you will give us the grace to include them. Give us the grace to know that you love them and that they're your sheep too. I pray that this flock would be a safe place. That, Lord, we would protect and care for and pray for each other. And, Lord, I pray that the security and the love and the safety that we experience here will overflow in our lives out in the marketplace, in our universities, in our schools, in our families in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, wherever we go, Father, that we will go with that confidence that you are our shepherd and you care and you protect and you provide and you are always with us. And I pray that you would use us to spread your love and your grace and your truth and your compassion everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you'd like prayer this morning, I'd love to pray with you. Please come and let me do that. If you have questions about Jesus, I'd love to answer those for you if I can. I'd love to be on that journey with you.